So some of you will be aware that uh, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. We've been doing that all over the summer and uh, taking a chapter in the morning and then the next chapter in the evening and so on. And we, we're almost there, actually. We, we get to the end of John's Gospel next Sunday. Uh, I'll finish it in the morning, but there will be a prologue. We'll fly with John to the book of Revelation next Sunday evening just to get an insight into what sort of came after the gospel. So tonight we're in chapter 20. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to uh, just look at it together. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood looking into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On, that, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, not, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us to make the presence of the risen Jesus real to us tonight, we pray. And that you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that you may have noticed as we've worked our way through John's gospel is that this gospel appears not only to our minds, which it does, it's full of intellectual uh, Uh, insights and it's full of theology and it does appeal to our minds but it also appeals to our senses Uh, and tonight I've given this uh, chapter and this talk a, a title the sights and the sounds of a risen Jesus the sights and the sounds of a risen Jesus now it seemed like it was all over Jesus had been sentenced to death The Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities had both condemned Jesus to the cross, to crucifixion on the cross, which was by far the cruelest form of execution in the world then or in the world in any any era. He was dead, and his dead body had been taken down from the cross and had been laid in the tomb. We read at the end of chapter 19, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. He was dead. The funeral was over. His body had been placed in the tomb. And the stone actually had been placed in front of the entrance to the tomb. But three days on, it's Sunday morning, and the resurrection story in John chapter 20 begins. And it begins with a woman. An unlikely woman, a lady called Mary Magdalene, 
Not many in her day would have described her as a lady because she'd had really quite a, a history and she'd been possessed by demons. She had been a prostitute. She had lived a pretty wild life. But her life had been transformed by Jesus. She'd become one of his followers and she is very much committed to following Jesus. She has a deep, deep, holy, pure love for Jesus Christ. And this love that she has for Jesus is the most important thing in Mary's life. And so she's awake really early. It's still dark and she's awake and she very early in the morning makes her way to the tomb while there's still the sounds of sunrise all around as she approaches the tomb where the body of Jesus had been placed, where the body of Jesus had been buried. We read in verses 1 and 2, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. This woman is really, really committed to Jesus Christ. Her world has been devastated by the events of Good Friday. But nevertheless, her heart and her love for Jesus is strong and it's real. And, and she's not afraid to come to a grave as a woman on her own early in the morning. And more than that, she's unafraid of the guards. Now, these were guards who had crucified Jesus they were Roman guards. They were Roman soldiers. They were notoriously cruel and harsh. They were notoriously dark, and they were men that, you, that everybody feared. This woman comes to the tomb on her own on that morning, and she comes while it's still dark. She loved Jesus so much. One Bible commentator says, that Mary was the last at his cross and the first at his grave. She's so grateful. She's so thankful for all that Jesus has done in her life. She's a story to tell of a life that has been changed by the power of Jesus. She not only saw miracles in the lives of others, she not only saw healings and demons being driven out of others, but she's someone who's known healing in her own life. She's known what it is to have demons driven out of her life. She's known what it is to have been accepted and forgiven and loved by Jesus Christ. He's lifted her out of her moral bondage. He's set her free from demon possessions. He's given her a brand new beginning and a brand new life and a brand new foundation on which to build her life by way of a, of a relationship with God. And she's about to discover just how solid and how firm and how true that foundation is. Because Jesus Christ crucified is also Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is risen from the grave, who has defeated death. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man, crucified, risen, and the soon-to-be-ascended Lord of glory. And that will be the foundation on which Mary will build 
her life and on which you and I can build our whole lives. So after Peter and John have gone, John John has believed that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's the, the first person to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's cool. That's really lovely. And the two of them, however, have gone back. He and Peter have gone back to their homes. But Mary is still around the tomb. This woman loved Jesus. This woman is so, so, so thankful. We read in verse 11 to 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Sights and sounds. What amazing sights and sounds here. First of all, she sees two angels in white. She's just had the sounds of the darkness and of the garden as she's come to the tomb. And now in the tomb, she has the sight of two angels. Uh, People do see angels. Uh, There are probably angels all around us at this very moment that probably most of us can't see. Maybe there's one or two who who can see angels. But angels are a reality, and some people see angels today. And Mary saw two angels in white. And she sees them sitting in the tomb where the body of Jesus had lain. One's at the head, where this head would have been, and one is at the feet. More than that, Mary hears these angels speak. Now, I've met people who have uh, seen angels, uh, but I've never met anybody who's had an angel speak to them. But angels do speak, and there are incredible stories of, of angels speaking to people down to this very day. And they spoke to Mary, and they said, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, This is incredible. She's having a conversation with angels. Not many of us have done that. Mary's in this place where she sees these angels, two of them. They speak to her. She answers them. There's a conversation that goes on that goes like this. She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Isn't that incredible? It gets better. Verse 14, she sees for herself the risen Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know 
that it was Jesus. She sees the risen Christ in the garden. He's there. He's beside her. He's close to her. Gets even better. She only sees him, but she hears the audible voice of Jesus. Jesus Christ, who had died on the cross, who had been dead three days, who had laid in the tomb, who has been now raised to life, chooses to speak to this woman. This woman who had a pretty messed up past. And Jesus speaks to her and he speaks so tenderly and lovingly to her. Turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Conversation goes on. Mary and Jesus have this conversation. He he loves Mary so so much. And he's tender and kind and how he deals with her lack of understanding, her lack of faith really, her lack of belief, her, some might even say, blankness in these moments. Jesus doesn't wag the finger and say, look, do you not know who I am? Do you not remember that I said that I would be raised to life again? He doesn't rebuke her or or, or correct her, or tell her off. He's gentle and kind and patient with her limited understanding and with her confused response. That's incredibly good news for most of us in church tonight. Certainly good news for me. That when we kind of don't get things, don't understand things, when our faith is knocked about a bit, when we're unsure, when we're uncertain when we're not able to see the obvious that's in front of us, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is in control. Jesus tenderly speaks, tenderly reaches towards us and tenderly brings correction to her confusion and to her lack of belief. He appeared to this woman who had been a great sinner, this woman whose very culture despised her, and she has an incredible encounter with him, so much so that she runs from where she is, having gone running earlier to Peter and John. She now goes running again to the other close disciples and followers of Jesus. And she shares with them that Jesus Christ is risen. This woman with this past is given this task to tell others. Friends, don't let anyone write you off because of your past. Don't write yourself off because of your past. You too, uh, you and I are commissioned to share and to tell with others that Jesus is alive and to share every experience that we've had of the risen Christ with others. Let that spirit of boldness rise up in in all of us. So we move 
from these sounds and sights of Ma that Mary encountered to the sounds and sights that John and Peter encounter. And that takes us back to a few verses that we jumped over a few moments ago, back to verse 2 and following. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. The other disciple, by the way, is John, who's writing this. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Mary ran to Peter. It's interesting that she goes to Peter. Peter who had denied Jesus. Peter is in a real sense the leader of the pack when it comes to the disciple. And even though he has denied Jesus, even though he's not in a great place at this particular time, he nevertheless is the one that Mary runs to. And John, the younger of the two, runs uh, with Peter. He runs faster than Peter, probably because he's younger than Peter, and he arrives first at the tomb. And he arrives and he looks into the tomb. Then Peter arrives, and typical Peter, no caution, he's straight in, right into the grave, right into the tomb, right in there, afraid of nothing, right in. John then, because the old fellow is gone, John follows suit and goes in after him. And we're told this lovely little uh, anecdote here that, that John believes. John sees and believes. It's sort of like John is the first person to believe that Jesus Christ is risen, apart from, from Mary, the first of the disciples, to believe. Does he recall, well, he believes actually before Mary in the story, does he recall, I wonder, the words of Jesus, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. It's going to take time for all the others to believe, but they'll, they'll get there. We're told in verse 9, as yet they did not understand that the, that the Scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. A couple of little thoughts from all of this uh, in terms of Peter and John. One person puts it beautifully, that Easter begins with running legs. Mary running to tell Peter and John. Peter and John then running to the tomb. John outrunning Peter. And then all three of them running to tell others. Here's the thing. It's just a thought. Sometimes speed is necessary. I'm not suggesting you should break speed limits, okay? And get three points or six points or worse. I'm not saying that. Don't do that, okay? Don't say the rector said. Won't mean anything in a court of law. You'll still lose your license, all right? But in another sense, speed is important. And there are times when we need to do things speedily. 
We often put things off to tomorrow that need to be done today. There are often relationships that need to be sorted out and put right now rather than just saying, well, we'll get around to it next week or, or next year or, or sometime. There may be our people that we need to share the gospel with and we need to do it now. There are some things that need to be done speedily. Haste is part of Christian discipleship sometimes. We're told to run the race, not just to walk the walk. And another little picture here is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's out of the tomb, but the grave clothes are still in the tomb. I love that. I really love that picture. The grave clothes are still there. When we trust in Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, there are grave clothes that we need to get rid of. There are old habits that, need to, that we need to, to shed. There are clothes that we don't need any longer. When you're alive, you don't need grave clothes. You don't need a shroud when you're dead. You don't need to be wrapped as the custom was. And here in this story, uh, the custom was that people were wrapped in linen clothes, bound up in linen clothes. And now that Jesus is alive, he doesn't need those. And friends, when you give your life to Jesus, there's some stuff that you don't need any longer, that you need to let go of. There are old hurts, old habits, old grudges, even maybe some old memories that you need to bring to the cross and leave there because they're grave clothes. They're for dead people not for living people. So get rid of them. Get rid of them. We move from these two disciples then and the sights and sounds that they see and hear to thirdly the sights and sounds that accompany the other disciples in verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The first sound in this room where these disciples are is what I've called the sound of silence. Sound of silence is something that's there whenever you're terrified. Some of you will have had that experience. You're sitting, maybe waiting on a doctor to come and deliver news about scans that have just been taken or something of that nature and there's a group of people sitting in a room and nobody's speaking there's the silence of fear there's the silence of fear there are lots and lots of examples in life where it's just more appropriate to say nothing and there's that silence but when you walk into the space there is palpable fear and that was how it was here for these followers of Jesus, their leader had been crucified. There was the real 
threat that they too would be put to death, it says in verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The Jews who had plotted and planned until they had Jesus condemned to a cross were equally capable of having all of his disciples condemned to a similar fate. But Mary had told them that he was alive, that he had risen. She had seen and heard. John had believed. And now they were about to see for themselves. Verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. What a sound. The voice of Jesus now speaking not just to ones and twos, but to a group of disciples. And more than that, they would be given the close-up evidence. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them what his hands and his side. I wonder how he did that. Did he go around them all and hold out his hands to them? Did he did what he did with Thomas a week later and say, put your hand into my side and believe? We're not given that sort of information. But we're simply told that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The sights and sounds continue. He continues to speak to them. He said to them again, peace be with you. Verse 21, he then commissions them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then, not only do they get to hear his voice, and not only is he involved in dialogue and conversation with them, not only do they see the nail prints in his very hands and the spear wound in his side, but this Jesus who had been dead for three days does something. He breathes on them. He breathes on them. When his breath came over them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. What a moment that must have been. The risen Jesus who had been dead is now breathing and he breathes on them. What incredible sights and sounds. And then moving on, we're nearly coming into land here. There's Thomas. Now, the other disciples, before we get too critical of Thomas, the other disciples had to see his hands and his side before they believed. They had to hear his voice before they believed. They needed sights and sounds before they believed. And then we're told in verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, and the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas was lacking the ability here to believe simply based on all that Jesus had already said to him over three years. He had told them, explained to them that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would be raised to life. But none of them have got it, and Thomas doesn't get it. Thomas, by now, has the testimony of Mary as well. Mary, who says she's seen him. He also, by now, has the testimony of the other uh, ten as well. 
who say that they've seen him and they've, they've seen the nail prints and they've seen the spear wound in his, in his side and they've heard his voice and he's spoken to them and he's commissioned them to, to begin to live as his disciples and to make him known. But he says to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. What was Thomas's real problem? I have a few theories in that. Throw them out for what it's worth. I wonder, was he jealous of the other ten? That he was missing? That he missed the big show when Jesus turned up? That he wasn't there and they were, you know, talking about it all the time? You ever been to that like that? And, you know, somebody's gone to something and you were thinking of going and then... You didn't go, and they tell you how wonderful it is, and they keep telling you how wonderful it is, and you feel like slapping them and say, go away. Because they're only rubbing it in. They're only kind of letting you know that you should have been there and making you feel the pain. Was he angry with the others? Possibly so. Was his reaction hindering him now from experiencing the joy of being able to think and think it through and to exercise saving belief in Jesus? Probably it was. Was he a bit niffed at Mary? Mary? Magdalene? That demon-possessed woman with her background got to see Jesus before he did? Could be any of that stuff. Could be any of that stuff. Maybe all of that stuff. Very understandable stuff. But Thomas, too, had missed out on not being there. And there's a little thought in that that I just want to throw out. Sometimes we miss because we're not there. We do miss out because we're not where we ought to be when we ought to be there. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're having a pity party somewhere when we ought to be before the the feet of Jesus and loving on him and drawing on his healing and drawing on his strength. And we miss out. Or we decide to stay away from the prayer meeting or from whatever it happens to be and the Lord blesses and and we miss out. I'm not saying that God can't make it up to us. He can. He, He does that with Thomas, doesn't he? He really does, tenderly, does that with Thomas. But don't miss encounters with Jesus that you might have. Don't be somebody who stands back from really abandoning yourself and asking the Holy Spirit to fill you to overflowing. Don't be someone who sort of is cautious about asking that God would speak to you, that you would hear his voice. Don't be somebody that is resistant to, uh, and kind of says, well, it's not my personality to ask others to pray with me. Get over your personality and let others pray with you. Don't miss out. Uh, Go where he's asking you to go and do the thing that he's asking you to do. Thomas had the privilege of eight days later. The doors are locked still. Jesus comes and stands among them. And he says what he said the previous time, peace be with you. And then... Thomas has this wonderful time where Jesus speaks to Thomas. 
one-on-one. -on -one. Put your hand into the side. Put your finger into the nail prints, Thomas. Don't doubt. But believe in all of these encounters, there's such grace and such tenderness in the way that Jesus deals with their, with their sort of slowness to believe and with their lack of understanding and with their confusion and with their fear, he deals so, so beautifully and so, so tenderly with it all. That we really are almost there. But there's one last group of people in this story, and that's you and me, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and me and Belfast and Ireland and Europe, with or without Brexit, might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And this story, this chapter rather that by the time John's writing this, he's an old man. Old men dream dreams. He's recalling miracle after miracle that Jesus has performed in, this, in these verses. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. He tells us of eight miraculous things that Jesus does. The other gospel accounts give us 36, but we're told that there are many, many, many signs that were performed in the presence of his disciples. He's writing and he's aware that there would be those who would deny that Jesus Christ was God, the very purpose for which the whole Gospel of John is written, is to address that issue, those that were no longer believing that Jesus was the Son of God. Later, there would be those who would question, was he a real man ever? Did he really ever become a man? And John writes a letter, the first of his letters, to address that one. And here, Thomas and the other disciples and Peter and John and Mary, there's a whole host of emotions. There's jealousy, disappointment, there's anger, there's doubt, there's fear, there's apprehension, there's lack of understanding. And they believe because Jesus shows up. Now here it's his physical presence. We are allowed and privileged to experience the presence of his Holy Spirit Millions down through the centuries to this very day have experienced sights and sounds in terms of the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the crucified Jesus who was crucified on the cross for you and for me was raised to life and defeated death. Defeated death. That our death, if we're trusting Christ, 
will be but the very gateway into glory and into His presence, where we will know a new body, a new life, and joys unspeakable. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. A few weeks later, Peter would be no longer in an upper room locked for fear of the Jews, but he would be preaching to the Jews and saying, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, for it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus is alive. I uh, intend to go see an old man. He's an old man now. I intend to get to see him really quite soon if I possibly can. He lives in Dublin. He's in a nursing home. His wife recently died. He was my rector when I was a boy. And uh, he gave his life to Christ and uh, after moving from being rector of my parish, okay, he, he, he had a real experience of Christ. And he came back to preach at a youth service. Uh, and this very formal religious person, ha, as he had been, sort of bounced into the pulpit and started to sing. I can still remember what he sang. Jesus Christ is alive today. I know, I know it's true. Sovereign of the universe, I'll give him homage due. Seated there at God's right hand, I am with him in the promised land. Jesus lives and reigns in me. That's how I know it's true. And he sang it over and over again in the pulpit. And the congregation went, who? Is that the guy who was here? His rector, he'd, he'd had an encounter He'd met the risen Jesus. And his life and his ministry and who he was had been changed forever. Forever. He went on to lead a great church in Dublin called Kill of the Grange that to this day is a, is a church that is uh, going places for the kingdom of God. He's alive. Believe it. Own it. Claim it. Give your life to him and live your life for him. For he's alive. Not half alive. He's fully alive. We can know it. Believe it. Experience it. And like Mary, we can we can enter into a whole new phase of life and build our lives on a new foundation like Peter and John. We can become his disciples and we can make him known. Like the other 11, we can come out of be from behind locked bars and boldly declare that Jesus Christ is risen and like Thomas, we can stop doubting and believe. He's alive. It's that. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Holy Spirit, come upon your people. Come upon your church. Come upon every one of us in this place this night. Baptize us, Lord, with 
the presence of the risen Jesus. Fill us with the presence of the risen Christ. Jesus Christ is alive today. Write it on my heart. I know, I know it's true. Write it deep. Sovereign of the universe, we'll give him homage due. Seated there at God's right hand, we are with him in the promised land. Jesus lives and reigns in me. Make that something you're sure of. And know, know, know with certainty that it's true. Amen. Amen.